Hi, welcome back to Check This Please, the podcast where we are reading the webcomic, Check Please, strip by strip, in order to talk about it on a holistic, all-encompassing basis, and also in terms of the individual strips. Today we're going to be looking at 1.12, Samwell versus Yale, number three, which was originally posted to the OMG Check Please Tumblr on December 20th, 2013. I'm Secret OMG. Who's with me today? I'm Tomato. Cool. Hey, welcome. Uh, Glad to have you here, Tomato. I would like to invite everybody who is listening to our podcast to help me out with a project that I am doing. It is an oral history project about the collective memory of the comic character Kent Parson. Now, you may have heard the funny jokes I've been making about how since this character hasn't been introduced yet, we don't know who he is. Well, that's true in terms of this podcast. However, that's not going to fly for my, uh, my project. So I am inviting any listeners who have feelings or thoughts or memories about this secret character to come to my blog, kphistory.tumblr.com, and find out more so that you can contribute an oral history to the project. Remember, that's KP History. K-P-H-I-S-T-O-R-Y at Tumblr.com. Come give me an oral history about your memories and feelings and thoughts about Kent Parson. And now, until we do the next promo for that, we can go back to pretending we don't know who he is. I'd also like to invite people to vote in a poll that should be up by the time this episode is up to help us figure out what kind of bonus content we should record when we finish up with freshman year semester one. So I think some of our options are like talking about our fanfic or talking about other people's fanfic. I'm going to post this poll. Don't worry about it. Uh, please vote. We'd, we'd love to get some input. Maybe one will be like a listener Q&A. We have talked about this and have not come to conclusions ourselves about what the best option is so you should help us by telling us what you want to hear yeah but what's interesting is this these semesters for this comic uh keep keep happening so we'll have lots of chances to record bonus content i'll also say that semester two of year one is much shorter than semester one plenty of time to get into all the topics but vote in our poll we'll post a link or something tomato it's your turn to uh summarize the comic we're back in Faber, behind, behind the scenes in Faber. Um, and Viddy and his mom are talking about his exciting shot. Um, we also see uh, Jack's very particular yellow shoes from the back as he and, and someone else approaches. We see Biddy and his mom turning around, their eyes wide. Biddy's eyes are a little weird in this strip. We don't have to talk about that too much. Anyway, Mrs. Biddle has said that she wants another picture of Biddy and a mysterious voice offers to take the photo for her. In the next panel, we then see who we learn is Mr. Jack's dad, 
or bad Bob Zimmerman, or as he says to Biddy, you could just call me Bob. Suzanne Biddle is like losing her mind with love. Fair enough. We all know that she has a crush on him. Then we get to a panel where bad Bob is saying, you know, I gotta say, I was a bit worried when I first saw you come out on the ice, but I guess big surprises really do come in small packages. That was a clutch shot, son. Um, Biddy says, wow, um, thank you, sir. I still can't believe it happened. And to be honest, I'm always so scared out there. I practically took the shot with my eyes closed. To which Bad Bob says, a good bounce is a good bounce. Though I know Jack here probably wanted to make that game winner himself, huh? And he pats Jack on the shoulder. Jack's like pouting. Next panel, close up of Jack's unhappy face as Bad Bob kind of kindly talks with Mrs. Biddle, who probably says, you can call me Suzanne. Jack kind of removes himself from the situation, going to go shower. A few minutes later, or or quite a bit later, actually, it's dark outside. Biddy is coming out of favor to say, hey, Jack, wait up. I'm so glad I caught you because I just wanted to say again, good game and thank. But he gets cut off. There's a very, very dramatic panel with the back of Jack's head and also the back of Biddy's head sort of limbed by light against the night sky in which Jack says, Biddle, it was a lucky shot. And then we get this forlorn, maybe, Biddy? still limbed by streetlight as Jack goes down the stairs and leaves the arena. What a, what a, what a series of panels. I'm pretty excited about this actually. Okay. Maybe your enthusiasm can carry us through because reading through this, I, I don't know. I was kind of looking forward to this one, but I'm really more looking forward to the next two, to be honest. Also, I feel like this strip is hard to place. I feel like some of the narrative beats that it lays out or the thematic beats that it lays out in the larger story don't necessarily fit well or they're not followed up on. And we'll get into it, but I'm feeling a bit weird about like what to do with this particular strip. I think you might be right on the holistic level. On a strip-by-strip level, for me, this strip is exciting. It makes me feel interested in kind of all of the character collisions that are happening. It's fun. And I will say that I take quite a lot of pleasure out of Jack just being like a big dumb baby. I feel like in every single panel, he looks like he needs a spanking. When you told me that, I was like, oh my God, that's exactly what's happening in this. (laughs) I think it explains some of my like weird... I don't know. So I'm always trying to get a handle on Jack as a character. I have some beliefs about him as a character, which I'm trying to revisit as we go through because I haven't revisited many of these comics in a long time. And I'm trying to see like where I got my reading from the first time around. Obviously, because I've written like tens of thousands of words of fanfic about him, I now have sort of like evolved versions of him in any given universe, some of which are more insane than others. (laughs) But I'm curious to kind of return to the source and think about, okay, what actually is the basis of this character? And I think there's, I think you're right. I think that like there are things explored in this strip which do not get played out in maybe especially effective ways, but the strip is still here and I'm still really interested. And this one panel, I don't know, the first time I kind of revisited this panel, that's a close-up of Jack's face as he's looking away saying, dad, I'm going to go shower up. I don't know. There's like something kind of incredible about that panel to me. Maybe because it's just like maximum spank needing. I don't know. For me, it's the panel where Suzanne has her little heart where he's like crossing his arms, but you can also see his butt. He's just kind of like, 
It's just like somebody, somebody hit him, please. Somebody just, just, just hit him. I think there's a real, so there's a John Mulaney bit that I don't like because I'm actually not a huge John Mulaney. I mean, John Mulaney's fine. He's just not super to my taste, whatever. But he has this very Tumblr popular, very internet popular phrase. My wife's, what is it? My wife's a bitch and I love her so much or something. And there are reasons that I don't care for that particular bit personally, but I do think that like Jack's a bitch and I love him so much. It feels appropriate to this series of of strips. I am a big fan of John Mulaney. I think he's extremely funny. I thought he was extremely funny. I don't know. I don't want to just be some fucking hipster who's like, I knew about it first, but it was surprising to me that Tumblr got into him, especially because a lot of his work fits into what I would consider like problematic on the Tumblr scale. It is, but somehow people don't care about it. I, I don't know. I, I mean, mean I, feel, I feel like they shouldn't. I feel like it's probably a healthy reaction. Like, I personally feel like I'm willing to accept a lot of the, like, weird things he says because they're actually funny versus, you know, I have, I guess, a lot of experience with this in terms of South Park, where it's like, sometimes they're saying things that are like, just really not actually true, or are outright harmful. For example, it doesn't matter who you vote for, because both candidates are indistinguishable. They're either a giant douche or a turd sandwich. So it doesn't matter which one you vote for, they're both dumb. And then it's like, okay, but this is a commentary on the George W. Bush versus John Kerry election. One of them got us into a couple of really bad wars. Maybe this take is bad. Still, however, the episode is really funny. You have to find a way to like approach something. This is a bad thing to talk about in a Check Please podcast. I'm just saying, I think John Mulaney is funny. And I think it's like, okay, that some of his humor is like, maybe not what you would expect Tumblr culture to put on a pedestal because it makes me laugh a lot. Oh yeah, well, I think my major concern with John Mulaney is that like, I don't think he's that funny and therefore I'm not as inclined to be into the things that are problematic. I like plenty of problematic things. That's not what's surprising. What's surprising to me about the Tumblr thing is who they pick and choose to be obsessed with as problematic figures, right? But that, that's like another another day. The whole point of this is that Jack is a bitch and he's great. Like, I don't know, there's something about these particular faces that he's making, which are very sort of sulky that I, want to like it gives me a feeling that I just want to crawl inside and like live in for a while I don't know exactly what the feeling is I'm still trying to articulate it but the look on his face as he's like ugh, this ugh, ugh, like this feeling of that that sound I don't know it makes me feel nice and I really like it because I think Jack isn't often given the opportunity in this comic to be a particularly complicated character especially the past couple years and it's nice to revisit this sort of like sulky, interesting, we've now seen him be, a, he's not just an asshole. We've also seen, like he's kind of still an asshole, but we've seen him reach out to Biddy. We've seen their relationship at least de develop a little bit, even if it hasn't been like so thoughtfully planned. And to see him kind of in this like, not just angry, not just in a, in a place of power, but in a place of sort of sulky resentment. That's like an interesting, for me, that's an interesting new aspect to the character that I'm really enjoying. I don't know, I'm getting something out of it to revisit it. Well, it's like his dad is there. So he's not being a kind of hockey robot where his relation to Biddy is that Biddy just 
isn't very good at hockey and Jack wants him to be better at hockey and he's being an asshole about it. His dad is there and you sort of have to presume that he's like performing for his dad. Totally. He's like trying to perform for his dad. He's trying to perform some kind of politeness. And how does he do it? He crosses his arms. He doesn't say anything. And then he says, I'm going to go shower up. It's a pleasure to meet you, Mrs. Biddle. Like never engaging with Biddy really other than to introduce him to his dad. And clearly, I don't know. There's something about his like inability to comfortably put himself into the situation that is really interesting to me. And then I think I actually do return to pretty frequently when I'm writing about Jack, even if I haven't specifically returned to this script to think about this particular interaction. Well, let's take it from the top, shall we? Shall we take it from the top? Something that Jack Zimmerman has no frame of reference for how to do. Hey, hey, he knows a good top when he sees one, okay. Okay, but like, you've met Biddy. Does he? <laughs> I think Biddy can grow into his, <laughs> into his predilections. Anyway, let's get into this later. All right, so he's always been a better shot than me. Okay, what would be grammatically correct is he's always been a better shot than I am. But I guess I'll forgive it because Bob's native language is French. Nobody would say like the grammatically correct version of this. I'm just an asshole. And then what we immediately learn is that Bob is like really smooth. He seems gracious if he says Jack is a better shot than me. Somebody who's obviously very used to the things that you say when you're appearing in the media spotlight or when you have to like interact with people who know who you are when you approach them. You have to like style yourself a certain way. So he seems sort of gracious and kind of generous in his comments. He finds a way to turn the conversation. Biddy says that thing about, I took the shot with my eyes closed. And he manages to kind of twist it around into like a positive compliment to Biddy. So he's somebody who knows what he's doing. This actually makes me curious about him in the media spotlight. And I wonder if Bad Bob is one of the few hockey players who like had a personality and what that would do in terms of people's interest in Jack and Jack's like commitment to robotic hockey dumb as, as you might refer to it. I'm curious about that because this is not someone who's sort of like robotically going through a social situation. He's like very graciously managing some of the social management of this moment, right? Like, as you said, he's turning compliments back towards Biddy after Biddy kind of admits, oh, I was so scared. He's very kind when Biddy sort of stumbles. Nice, nice to meet you, but uh, Mr. Bad, but, uh, Mr. Jack's dad, he like very graciously just smooths over that, which is a kind of rare thing, I would say, in sort of like your typical dad characters. They're not usually the people doing this kind of work. And certainly in this comic, like no one's ever making anything. No one's gracious. They're 20 year olds at college. So graciousness isn't exactly like a common a common thing so i'm just very interested in that also like his son is standing there acting like a little baby and he's well we'll get to it but he's he's taking it in stride he's not like making faces at jack like oh my god which is what my parents would have done to me when i was acting like a little baby likewise my mother would not have smoothed over the situation let's just leave it there anyway um I also, he says, uh, he's always been a better shot than me and you, you've mentioned, um, is this a reference to the photography? And I took it that way. 
reading it this time around, even though photography is a, I don't even know if that's part of Jack's, like her conception, you know, Ngozi's conception of Jack at this point, I have no idea, but I, I did take it that way. Yeah, well, it's, they're talking about taking a picture. It's, Suzanne wants to take a picture of Biddy, and then Jack, uh, but Jack and Bob wander up, and immediately Bob is like, do you want one of us to take a picture? You should have Jack take it. He's, he's the better shot. So yeah. it's directly connected to photography. That said, I do feel like if this is the sort of first mention of Jack's interest in photography, I think his teenage track mark selfies notwithstanding this is something that's sort of underdeveloped to me throughout the rest of the comics so we're not going to find out until second semester year two that jack is interested in taking a photo class and then there is a little bit of drama around him taking photos in some of the paratextual material but not really a lot it's not really something that like he spends a lot of time being interested in in. I guess when we get to strips where he's actually taking photos, we'll talk about it more. But so long as it seems like it's being raised here, I do want to say that this is an almost entirely ineffective way to raise that. You could have Jack actually take a picture any point between here and I think the first time he mentions that he might take a photo class is in um, 2.10 Shinny, which is a while from now. So if you wanted to like build this thread out or give Jack some dimensionality through this non-hockey interest, I think you could have done a lot more than this. And I do think it would have been really satisfying to see Jack have an interest in something else. Oh yeah, highly agree. I think I remember what I thought also is that this is an interesting way to say this. There's so many ways that you could say Jack takes nice photos or he takes better photos than I do. The fact that Bob says he's a better shot than me, I, again, I don't know how deliberate this was on Gozi's part, but the part of me that's always like looking for poetic logics, for lack of a less horrible term, um, is into, into, into this in part because the whole drama hinges on the shot that Biddy made. And I don't know, there's something very deeply satisfying to me about this wording. Although clearly, since only one person in this conversation has more than one Stanley Cup, or indeed any Stanley Cup at all, Jack is not necessarily a better shot than his, his dad. But, uh, but I don't know, I'm just kind of like interested in the way that he phrased this in this moment. Yeah, I mean, I do think it's possible that maybe the comic believes that Jack really is a better shot than his father. There's all this context about him being just like touched in the head with hockey skills as a baby, and just like preternaturally good at hockey. So I think it's possible that maybe it's being very softly implied that like Bob knows that Jack is better than he is actually. That said, that makes no fucking sense, like on any level. What I do think it's a connection to is this sort of paraphrased, possibly misattributed Wayne Gretzky quotes that Bob pulls out at graduation when he's talking obliquely, not to get too deep into it about whether or not Jack should go and try to kiss Biddy, where he says, you miss 100% of the shots you don't take. 
which yes, is strictly true, but we'll break it down later when we get there. What I think is interesting about this is that this particular comic, 1.12, is framing Biddy's shot as lucky. And what's interesting is that that shot that Jack takes when he goes back to the house and kisses Biddy is to a certain extent also lucky because so many things could have gone wrong. Jack could be too late and Biddy could already be gone. Biddy could reject him. The rest of their story could play out differently. Obviously it couldn't in this comic, but just like, you know, for argument's sake, every shot is lucky. Yes, there's some skill, and yes, there's some character, and yes, there's some, like, particular amount of training that can put you in a better position to react to play on the ice or, I don't know, life's crazy circumstances. But this sort of unquantifiable, unknowable fabric of circumstances that individuals can't necessarily control, that's part of everything. So I don't think it was being set up to be read that way, but there's a little interesting connection. I mean, I think that's what I mean by like poetic logic is that it's not so much being set up deliberately. I don't know what's being set up deliberately. Certainly I can guess certain things were set up deliberately because they're very clearly addressed in the story. And some things are harder to tell, particularly when it's sort of thematic like this, right? Which is less uh, set up and conclusion in, in a narrative sense and more set of moods or feelings or ideas that emerge multiple times. But I, I'm like interested in the way that this idea of the, the shot, particularly, as you mentioned, the lucky shot becomes this kind of interesting, actually, now that I'm thinking about it, like a lot of the things in this comic are lucky shots, you know, over and over and over again, these characters kind of like do something impulsive or do something based on a ephemeral opportunity. Obviously I'm thinking like particularly in terms of coming out, but also like other things that they kind of go through. And yeah, over and over again, they, they, they're lucky. So maybe that's how I can get myself to appreciate the ending of the comic is through this framework. Thank you. You've done it. You've cracked the case. Well, I mean, in that sense, it's not luck at all. It's just the author determining that things are going to work out because that's the story she wants to tell. She wants to tell a story where things work out. Well, you're right. But if I think about it that way, I get annoyed again. So I'm just going to stick in the lucky shot metaphor for a little while before I, I go back. I enjoy it when you're annoyed because that's when we get crazy shit like Liz's Strata fic. Oh, thank you. Yeah, so then... Jack says that Biddy is the one I told you about, the figure skater. So what's interesting to me about that is, first of all, Jack is describing Biddy as a figure skater, which Biddy hasn't been for a while now at this point in the comic. So that's Jack being a bitch too. Like he's diminishing Biddy, not by being like, yeah, this is, this is Biddle, I've been telling you about him, but like, oh, the figure skater. Also, he's been complaining to his dad about Biddy. Bob says, please, just call me Bob. Again, this is like the right thing to do when you're meeting somebody. Nobody's like, please, call me bad Bob Zimmerman. Like, nobody would say that. That said, something interesting is, um, I think it's already been established, like, in Ask that Bob's friends and his wife, we later learn, Don't call him Bob, they call him Bobby. 
So he's being friendly, but like in a very professional, polite way. He's not actually like extending intimacy. He's being like PR polite. Yeah, he's performing like social lubricant status right now, right? That's like what he's doing. But it's not actually like, hello, Suzanne Biddle, let's be friends, you know? Jack here probably wanted to make that game winner himself, huh? And then he does the most exciting thing to me in the strip, which is that he pats Jack on the back while he's saying this thing that I think is genuinely meant to be supportive and reassuring, but it is also so demeaning. It's like how I talk about my cat. I also am obsessed with Jack's like shoulders in this panel because his hackles are fully raised. Like he looks miserable. He's got like sort of furrowed eyebrows and his shoulders don't look, I mean, they're not like around his ears, but they just, he just looks tense. I don't know how much of this again is sort of like just drawing style versus deliberate choice in terms of body language, but Ngozi's is pretty good at body language. So I imagine there's some, I mean, it seems to me it's deliberate. He just looks so unhappy and childish and I am obsessed with it. And also, can you imagine your dad, your fucking like four to six cup Stanley winner father saying like, I know that Jackie boy here wanted to like make the winning, make the winning shot, but it's great that you figure skater boy did instead. Like, obviously that's not how Bad Bob means it, but I could just imagine that that's how it feels to Jack, who we have established is very insecure in this moment. And I'm completely obsessed with it. Remember how two strips ago his dad called to be like, will your anxiety be worse if I come to your game? And Jack was like, my anxiety will be bad no matter what you do. So just, I don't know, fuck it. And then here we are. Okay, so here, let me, let me get into this just a little bit. I won't overdo it, hopefully. But something that I love about this comic at its best, or at least in the strips that I most enjoy, is that I think Ngozi does a really interesting and often lovely job of taking characters with different motivations and different perspectives and kind of like setting them next to each other. They're not even necessarily miscommunicating exactly, but then having some kind of resulting emotional experience, which is not ideal or optimal for the situation. So we can talk more about those as they happen. They don't happen all the time, but they do happen for the first like two and a half years of the comic. They happen somewhat regularly, which makes me think that there's something there that's like, maybe she's interested in writing about. Um, But this is a perfect example. This kind of like disconnect between two people who are not meaning to be ill-intended towards each other, but are not also resolving some kind of tension between them is part of why I have written so many fucking words about (laughs) Checklist and how these characters like have expectations of each other and for each other and with their lives that are not completely achievable. Anyway, I'll stop rambling shortly. Um, But there's something in this moment where like, Bad Bob Zimmerman, this like kindly fellow, you know, who's who's like making nice with Suzanne Biddle and doing all the right things to make this social situation kind of go graciously, is twisting the knife in his son's back because Jack's anxiety, his insecurity, and his like superiority complex are sort of all in this perfect storm of making him feel bad about the fact that he didn't win this game for his team, even though like hockey is not played by one person as thousands of hockey players have said in thousands of interviews. Um, And so Jack 
isn't wrong for wanting to win the game this way, right? Yes, this isn't necessarily a sustainable or mature kind of approach. This is part of why he looks like a sulky baby is he's acting like a sulky baby, but like, why do people act like sulky babies? You know, maybe because they need to do some growing, but also because life is hard and anxiety is hard and kind of like wanting to do really well in front of your dad who you idolize. It's not fun, right? And so he's not wrong for feeling this way. It's not cool to take out that feeling on anyone else, but it's not like it's fundamentally wrong to like have a complicated feeling. And I'm just like obsessed with the fact that these two characters who don't mean to hurt each other, I don't think Jack is hurting Bad Bob. Bad Bob's like, whatever. But the fact that like Bad Bob is not meaning to hurt Jack and yet is, is like delicious to me. And then the fact that Jack takes that out on Biddy because he can't process it, oh, it's so good. It's like so interesting. I wish there were more of this because I think this is like something that the comic does well when it engages with this, but it engages with it maybe a handful of times throughout its entire run. So it's not exactly a frequent occurrence, but I just think there's something amazing about this moment of people mishandling emotion and misunderstanding each other, not necessarily with ill intent. Although I do think that Jack, like saying it was a lucky shot, like that's bitchy. You shouldn't say that to somebody in that tone of voice and that way, meaning to demean them. That's not cool. So my question would be, is Bob treating Jack like a sulky baby because Jack is acting like a sulky baby? Or is Jack acting like a sulky baby because his dad is treating him like a sulky baby? And we just don't know enough about their dynamic to know which one it is. Based primarily on my experience with teenagers and their parents and young adults and their parents, my guess is that it's, it's complicated and it's both. Like in real life, patterns kind of develop and then reinforce each other. In this comic, this is like one of the one of the frustrating things about the comics that we'll just never know. But like the body language in this panel is amazing. What's interesting is Jack is glaring at Biddy while Bob is looking at Biddy and Biddy is looking at Bob. Like Biddy and Bob are having an interaction and Jack feels left out and he's pissed off. I think it also seems from this strip that Bob is taller than Jack is. Oh, I think you're right. I I think. think. So I did a little checking and I feel like what's available is kind of inconclusive. From this strip, it seems like Bob is taller. From the graduation strip, it seems like either Bob is taller or they're roughly the same height. There's an extra where Bob and Biddy and Jack and Jack's mother are all together. And in that panel, it seems like Bob is taller. But then in early year four, after Jack wins the Stanley Cup and his parents come down to the ice, Jack seems, well, Jack is drawn taller than his dad. And he is wearing skates, but it's hard to tell. If, you know, because it's just like, I don't know, proportions aren't real in this comic. So it's just sort of tough to make out. But what is true there is that Jack, at least because he's in skates, appears to be taller than his dad, like at that moment. So cool. I'm sure we'll circle back to it because I'll just be thinking about that for a long time. Yeah, I don't know. The way that Bob is touching Biddy's shoulder the same way that he's patting Jack on the shoulder. There's a kind of equalization of gesture 
but Bob is obviously like not really paying attention to Jack here. He's paying attention to Biddy. He's more interested in like interacting with Biddy and to a lesser extent Biddy's mother than he is in interacting with Jack. And, you know, my guess is that after this, he and Jack are going to, like, get dinner or something. Like, I'm sure this is just, like, one, you know, two-minute-long interaction in their night together or whatever. So I wouldn't read too much into it. But it's interesting that Jack is acting like a little baby while his dad is, like, not paying attention to him. I agree. Here's the thing that I'm, like, really fixated on. This is what I have picked up in my rereading of this particular strip. So at the start of the comic, Jack and Biddy are in the same state of dress. So they're out of their pads and skates, but they haven't changed out of their hockey underwear. So, like, their compression shorts and compression shirts. Then, at the end of the comic, Jack is back in his game day suits that he presumably wore to the rink. But uh, Biddy is still in his uh, hockey, like, compression gear. So he hasn't even showered, let alone changed. So my question is, what the fuck has Biddy been doing? Like, go take a shower, Biddy. Like, what have you been doing? Has he just been, like, standing around in the hallway, like, chit-chatting with his mom? Does he not want to, like, get out of the rink and go home? Does he not want to, like, go eat the pie they baked before this? Like, I... I don't have an answer other than sort of what it does for the comic, but logically, yeah, I got nothing. Yeah. So what it does for the comic thematically is that when they have this interaction at the end, Jack is kind of like more regimented and guarded because he's wearing a suit and Biddy is kind of like more vulnerable, but also sort of like less, serious and kind of like, I don't know, less put together because he's wearing underwear. So I don't know. I just think it's like one of these things where I'm noticing in rereading the comic, all of these like little micro contrivances that I never realized the first time. But now that I'm really thinking about it, I'm just like, so what? Like, it must have taken Jack, what, like, between 15 and 30 minutes to, like, shower and get dressed. And Biddy just spent that whole time, like, loitering around. And then he saw Jack walking out. And he was like, hold on, Mom. I have to go run after Jack. And then after that, I'll shower and change. I didn't notice them the first time around either. I will say I have a high tolerance for a micro contrivance if it does something that I'm kind of into, like, um, or generally contrivance. I mean, again, this is probably because I'm like into experimental writing and writing that doesn't really make any sense and so on and so forth. Not that I think that this is what Check Please is doing. I don't think that Check Please is experimental as I've already discussed, but- You don't think that Check Please is making not sense? I, well, I can't say that. (laughs) I just don't know that it's doing it for like the sort of emotional reasons that I normally feel make, not making sense work. But this particular thing, because it's doing that kind of like emotional work in the imagery, I feel pretty like whatever about it. Also, I do think that Biddy is like a little dumb and might just spend 15 to 30 minutes talking with his mother in the hallway while she is <laughs> like trying to get him to hurry up so they can leave, but but also 
they're just egging each other on. I don't know. I actually think that that would be like a funny little fic. So maybe that's, maybe that's just me, but that, that particular thing doesn't bother me. The contrivances start to bother me later and in situations when they're not doing something that I emotionally like respond to. But in this moment, this shot of Jack walking down the, the very last shot of Jack walking down the stairs kind of suited up to the nines and Biddy looking, I don't know, the, the word that I would use for that face is stricken. That's the only word that I can like really feel describes what's happening. And I can't be more specific than that. It's hard to read them. But that sort of like feeling and look, I'm really into it. So for me, it doesn't bother me. One thing I do like about Check, Please is that a lot of the looks on characters' faces in moments like this are in fact hard to read. And I kind of like that. So I really zoomed in on Biddy's face in that last panel and I am actually not totally sure if he's stricken or he's more like surprised, kind of like, oh, excuse me. It's a little hard for me to tell. Like he may be shocked more so than like upset. Yeah, you might be right. It's hard to tell. I mean, I don't think it's one or the other. I think it's like he's really good at drawing faces where you could interpret the look on the face a few different ways. Something I've noticed is that she draws a lot of faces or when she draws faces like this, if you cover up one side, it looks like one thing. And if you cover up the other side, it looks like something else. I'll point, I'll point this out when we see them, but I don't know, it's something that, that works for me because it makes the read more complicated. And that was what I used to expect from Check Please. Having said that, it's really very weird, and I can imagine Biddy is pretty confused, that this guy who's been spending all this time training you to be better at hockey is being a little baby about the fact that you've gotten better at hockey. Like, if I were Biddy, my reaction to that would be like, not so much upset, but just kind of like, what? My reaction would be like, I would be upset because I would feel sort of cut by that comment. But I also do think that when I, this is me and how I feel feelings, right? Whatever, everyone would have their own reaction. I can only, I can only speak from my own perspective. But um, after I was done feeling sad, I would be like, wait, what the fuck? We just spent months trying to get me better at hockey. What, what was that? I would be very resentful and annoyed. I'm curious, I remember the, the, the broad gestures after this, like I remember what happens, but I don't remember Biddy's emotional reactions to Jack. I, I should revisit. I it's know. because there isn't one. This is never oh, followed oh. up on directly. And the, the Twitter doesn't exist yet, right? Yeah, the Twitter doesn't exist yet. There's, this is it. Like, it was a lucky shot. Like, this ends here. Like, this arc is over. Biddy doesn't give another blog post about how Jack is a bitch until I think the second strip of the next semester. And it's when they're made line mates. And he's like, I don't understand, Jack just hates me. So you do the whole closet story, then you meet Lardo, then you go back to Jack just hates me. That is crazy writing! Yeah. Oh my Right. It is crazy writing. But yeah, no, this just happens in a vacuum. It's never picked up again, as far as I'm aware. So you don't get like any kind of conclusion about 
how Biddy actually feels. His reaction is just kind of like an open-ended look that's somewhere between shocked and hurt, and then that's it. That's all. Okay, so I haven't written all the meta I ever want to write about Checkley's, and hopefully someday I'll write more of it. Um, but there is this pattern of, of biddies that I, that could be, certainly you could read as sort of poor writing, <laughs> by Ngozi or sort of like curious writing choices. But if you remove Ngozi from the equation and you just think about what's actually on the page, that's quite interesting to me because it tells me something about how Biddy engages with pain and frustration and surprise and irritation. And it tells me that he sort of sublimates it, doesn't engage with it. Um, which I think is something that we see in sort of his passive aggression, you know, later. So that, that is interesting to me, but that's sort of like an ad hoc reasoning for, for why narratively you can make sense of it. I don't actually think that that makes sense as a writing choice. I think that's really curious. Huh. I had forgotten that. Well, you know how in Samwell versus Yale, number one, we talked a little bit about how this is the first time that an event is happening in the real life of Biddy's story and it's not presented through a blog post. None of this Samwell versus Yale strip is presented through Biddy's vlog. So not the game day and all, like not the game and also not this particular moment. And you would think that Biddy, even if he didn't want to talk about, like, his feelings, which, just to be clear, he has already, hence, you know, the stuff about reasons 1 through 17 to hate Jack, he has wolf eyes. Like, so he's already talked about his feelings on his vlog. But you would think that one thing he would talk about is, I scored a goal in a game. I scored the game-winning goal at the Big Parents Weekend. He already started vlogging at the start of Parents Weekend, which I think is all the way back in uh, 1.9 at this point. Yeah, at the start of 1.9, he's vlogging about his mom coming to visit. So you would think that he would follow through within the story about the fact that he is scoring this goal, if not the whole fairly upsetting situation with Jack telling him it was a lucky shot. And none of this is included in the vlog narration. I actually think that would have been a really interesting use of the vlog this moment, especially like I'm imagining now that he's talking to his vlog audience, talking about his own insecurities or sort of like raging against what Jack said and saying like, maybe some might say it's just a lucky shot, but actually I've been working really hard, blah, blah, blah. Like there could be some kind of interesting tension explored there. It is kind of interesting. I, I was noticing, I mean, I was thinking about the fact that there was no vlog framing to this piece, but I wasn't putting it in conversation with the fact that he's also not finishing what he started in terms of his own narrative. Not that I think that we as viewers sort of like, we don't like see every blog post he does, but. No, but it is the context that a lot of these strips are set up through the framing device of Biddy vlogging. And yeah. I would argue that most of them from here on out are comics where you do not need the vlog to tell the story that you're telling, the vlog is adding some other layer. So like, 
the closet story, which we're about to do, and I'm sure it's going to be a real treat because I'm looking forward to it. You don't need Biddy's vlog to show you what's happening. If you took off the first panel where he's talking to you through the lens of his YouTube channel, it wouldn't change the sort of plot-driven outcome of the story. All it's doing is giving a little more nuance to it via Biddy being more of a direct narrator who's like weighing in on how you should interpret what you're about to see. So what's happening in this Samwell versus Yale arc is that you don't have Biddy as the narrator telling you how to interpret what you're about to see. And it's, I don't know, I wish I had something more substantive to say about it, but in the overarching story of Check, Please, I don't know, it's just this like weird blip. You know, it gives you a chance to meet Bad Bob. Next time we see him, he'll have a different character design. And, um, you know, I'd do him. But like, yeah, what have we learned here going through this arc? What we've learned is Biddy can score a goal in hockey, but he does it with his eyes closed. So luck was part of it. And Jack is a little baby who has deeper issues than maybe what we've seen so far led us to believe. Biddy's mom is overly excitable and kind of like a silly old lady. And, uh, you know, everybody in this story is a goddamn mess. I think that's part of why it's interesting and it's like an interesting strip, but maybe if we kind of zoom out and think holistically, this is another casualty of the webcomic versus graphic novel shift. I don't know. I mean, I definitely think when I think about the fact that there's no real resolution to this moment of cruelty, that for me is highly instructive in thinking about, again, as I've mentioned like 8,000 times, um, this the way that this comic relies on the romance genre for its characterization rather than actually like playing the characterization out on the page. And I think that very much when I first read this, the aggregate of all of the strips together, I don't remember what I thought when I first read it, but last time I reread, so when after year two, after the end of year two, I reread the whole comic from start to up till that point finish. Each strip is a little fragment. These fragments together build up towards a love story that is recognizable because of the way that, again, it borrows from like other love stories. When we break down and look at each individual fragment, sometimes really interesting things happen. It's fascinating to me to discover that like this really poignant moment doesn't get thoughtfully examined because when I think about the sort of like check please culture wars on the internet about you know which character is problematic and why and how how their problematic elements are you know abuse or whatever like this is a really interesting thing to re-encounter because this is quite a cruel moment and the fact that there's no apology there's no resolution like if this peop- if, if this were a real person i would find that troubling luckily it's fiction so it does matter but that's interesting to re-encounter i guess So what to you makes this moment especially cruel? I honestly think it's the body language. And I think it's the context of it was a lucky shot. I think if you were saying that while looking at Biddy or in a different context, like if they were back on the ice working together and he says, Biddy, 
it was just a lucky shot, you've got to keep working or something, that, that wouldn't feel cruel, right? Or, or maybe a little bit, but not too cruel. I think it's the fact that he he's deliberately undermining the compliment that Bob previously gave with his back to Biddy as he leaves him. Like that to me feels very dismissive. Maybe not cruel, but certainly mean. To me, it's that Biddy knows it was a lucky shot. And he's already expressed some insecurity about that in the conversation. And oh, yeah. Yeah, Jack is Jack is basically undermining what his dad has said about like, well, a good bounce is a good bounce. And Jack is basically saying, no, that was bullshit. You do suck. Yeah, yeah, okay. That, yeah, I had forgotten that Biddy said, oh, my eyes were closed. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, there's just something mean about it. There's something that's very um, button pushing about it. Fucking Jack. Well, luckily... Biddy eventually gives him plenty of spankings and they work it out. Yeah, I just, I mean, again, one of the problems to me about Check, Please is that, I don't know, I just don't really see any convincing explanation for how Jack goes from this to, like, where he is at the end of the comic. Drugs. Yeah, well, he's on drugs. But um, he calls them his nice pills. (laughs) Okay. All right, I'm back, I'm back, I'm back. Um, Anything else you want to throw in here? I think I'm tapped out. I think that's all I have to say about this. I think this is one of these strips where reading it with the whole thing finished, knowing what the next strip is, I'm just like, oh, that's where the meat is. I want to get to the juicy part. I want to very briefly talk a little bit about the blog post associated with this. Okay, let's hear it. Well, I'm really, really interested in the way that the author and fans conceive of Jack, in particular, in comparison to another hockey wunderkind who we'll eventually meet, who we briefly knew about at the beginning of this episode, but have since forgotten. I don't Uh, even know who or what you're talking about. Definitely don't contribute oral histories to kphistory.tumblr.com. Uh, so first Ngozi refers to the dramatic little arc of the traditional, that follows the three, the traditional three act structure of one, aw, two, yay, three, fuck you, Jack Zimmerman, which is very different from the Jack Zimmerman sort of conceptual framework that we receive later. Um, and then moving on down to, ugh, Jack, compartmentalize your daddy issues in rich white boy hockey wunderkin eggs. And I'm really, really fascinated by the characterization of Jack's problems as rich white boy angst because this framework of Jack, not to bring up like old discourse, but it's a framework that I specifically like sort of got taken to task for a long time ago. And I'm, and I'm very curious like how the conception of Jack as a pretty privileged person who also is dealing with a serious mental illness, a fictional person also, so like, let's not forget that, changes. Because as I recall, at this part of the comic, when I was reading this with friends, but was not like writing fanfic or anything, when we talked about him, we certainly talked about him as like a potential romantic lead, because he, he's tall, dark, handsome, and like a little bitchy. So, you know, he fits a certain type. Um, But also, talked about him as someone who was flawed. And I don't know that the Jack that we talk about at the end of the comic 
I mean, certainly the Jack that you and I talk about is like a flawed version of Jack, right? Because that's like where we live. But, but the Jack that I see sort of people who aren't deliberately engaging with complicated narratives about this comic, like I don't know that they actually talk about him as a flawed character, like literally at all, like maybe any flaws. And I'm really curious about that. And the, and the kind of like authorial framework given to these characters over time. So I just wanted to just highlight that briefly. And I also thought it was quite interesting that she, that she, that Ngozi, uh, the, the author, uh, sort of has solicited fan work in this blog post for a now closed submissions page. Um, but but the, the last fan made art was reblogged onto the OMG checkplease.tumblr.com account on January 26, 2014, which is not so much like after this. Um, so I'm curious whether the, that sense of interactivity shifts as the comic starts to shift away from webcom, like when the shift to graphic novel, which has control over the characters and intellectual property as opposed to webcomic, which is a bit more, um, not that you don't have control over your intellectual property, but it's a bit more loose in its structure and in sort of collaboration with fans and so on and so forth. Um, I'm curious about that shift. So I just wanted to highlight I thought that was really interesting in the blog post and I just wanted to highlight it. I think the fan work ends up on its own blog for a while. I think there's like a, like a check please fan works Tumblr. I didn't specifically look it up for this post, so I don't have it on hand, but I think that's part of it. I think it's also like, this has to do perhaps less with webcomic versus graphic novel, but just like readership and how large is the fandom. I think for a fandom to exist in the transformative works fandom framework that you and I are familiar with, it can't just be circulating through the submissions page of the site where it's hosted. It needs to be on AO3. It needs to be generated like on, um, you know, users' individual sites. So. I think that's true. I wasn't even necessarily thinking about fandom in the transformative sense exactly. I was thinking about other web comics I've read that had sort of like fan art pages, you know, like this is back in the day. Um, when comics were posted on their own websites and so on and so forth. Yeah, I, I remember that as well, when um, it does feel like a throwback to a different kind of web comics infrastructure. Yeah. But, yeah. you know, at a certain point, things move from an internal audience of people following the comic on its own platform and networking with the larger sort of transformative works fandom. I think that's where you get a shift where people aren't just like, oh, I'm a fan of this comic. I'm going to draw something for it. But rather like I'm in the Chuck Please fandom and there's an all encompassing infrastructure here where we coexist with and also exist separately from the thing we're in a fandom for. Yeah, yeah, that's a good point. Yeah, I don't know. I gotta like chew it over some more, but I'm, I'm just interested in that shift. And what a rewarding fandom to be in, may I just say. <laughs> well, yeah. I wouldn't know you without Check Please Fandom and my life would be much sadder, so.
What a what a nice and in, incorrect thing to say. I think you don't even know how much better your life would be without this. This podcast, you know, not to get too sentimental here, but this podcast is one of the few good things in my life right now. So, so you know, let's just be grateful that it's here. Anyway, moving on. Have we, uh, have we, have we hit everything? We have. All right. Uh, where are we going next time? What's next time on Checked It, Please? Oh, boy. We're going to 1.13, The Closet Story 1. Yeah, so we're, we're about to enter the last arc of the first semester of the first year of a comic that will keep going straight to hell. I'm pretty excited about it. I can feel the flames licking at me already and I'm ready ready to burn <laughs> yeah no I'm I'm actually excited too uh this this is you know I wasn't I don't think of this as being like a really exciting comic the the closet story arc however I I don't think about it the way I think about like the hockey prince or um bad bob zimmerman or LVA versus PVD number one. However, I actually think there's quite a bit to chew over in the next couple of strips, like really a lot. So I'm excited. Me too. In the meantime, where can people find us? Well, we have a Tumblr, checkdispleased.tumblr.com. We also are on Spotify. Search for Check Displeased. We're there. And we're also on Podbean, a site that I pay $14 a month for. So lots of options, lots of ways to get in touch. Our ask boxes are open. I will say that through the month of June, our posting schedule is a little uh, heggledy-peggledy because it's finals. But if you want to find me, I'm at Camillier, C-A-M-I-L-L-I-A-R, at Tumblr, and my AO3 handle is familiar. And also, kphistory.tumblr.com, talk to me about your oral histories of Silhouette with a Catholic, the mystery character who doesn't exist. I'm extremely excited about that project, so please selfishly donate your oral histories. Donate, that's not the verb that you would use. Whatever, please give your oral histories to this project because I'm excited about it. You can find me at tomatorights.tumblr.com. Losing my mind over stupid things usually. That's about it. All right, well, see you back here next time for comic 1.13, The Closet Story, Roman numeral one. Bye. Bye.